it's fall and the leaves are turning and the temperatures are dropping and it seems like every billboard sign and drugstore is urging us to get our flu shot. But can we inoculate insurance companies from the risk and threat of institutional bad faith claims? Hi, this is Kevin Quinley of Quinley Risk Associates, and I'd like to welcome you to this episode of the Claims Coach Podcast. This is the fourth and final part of a four-part series on institutional bad faith as a risk run by insurance carriers, insurance adjusters, and third-party claims administrators. In earlier episodes, we've talked a little bit about what institutional bad faith is, how it differs from the -the run-of-the-mill bad faith claim, and we've given seven examples of claims management practices that can spawn institutional bad faith claims. So what I'd like to do is to close this four-part series and talking about solutions. Now, we probably cannot inoculate any operation from the risk of institutional bad faith claims, but we can play the percentages here. And so I'm going to suggest about 10 tactics, nine or 10 tactics, that can help insurance companies prevent their exposure to institutional bad faith claims or make defense of such claims a much more realistic proposition. So loss control really is the cornerstone for addressing the risk of institutional bad faith. Each itemized quicksand pit that we've discussed and and itemized in the past two weeks implies behavior that can lower the odds of a claim organization becoming the target of an institutional bad faith claim. Because really, that's what it is. The -the run-of-the-mill bad faith claim targets the claim file. The institutional bad faith claim will go a step further and target the management practices of the organization, of the institution, of the business itself. So here are 10 steps that can provide the scaffolding for such loss control and risk management programs. Number one, carefully reassess compensation programs, either base, bonus, or contingent compensation plans that are tied to adjuster reductions in individual or department claim payments. That is a danger sign. Whenever you tie bonus compensation for claims people to reduction in payments. So you gotta be aware of linking adjuster compensation to either individual or departmental claim spend reductions. Any insurance company or department that does this is painting a bullseye on itself and creating temptations for adjusters to be over aggressive and to enhance their own income by underpaying valid and meritorious claims. Now, there's a school of thought that some plaintiff experts have advanced that adjusters should not receive bonuses, which I think is BS. I won't go into detail here. I, don't, I think they're throwing the baby out with the bath. I think adjusters do deserve bonuses. What I'm suggesting is that those bonuses should not be tied to chopping claim payments or average claim payments. That's a danger sign, number one. Number two, 
risk management tip is to embed in your performance appraisal criteria metrics related to good faith claim handling and goals tied to customer service and satisfaction. Part of the problem here is that payments are very easy to measure, and as managers, we gravitate toward that which can be measured. Adherence to good faith claim practices, uh, that's a little squishier. That's harder to measure. But you can establish certain process criteria, and through audits, grade files according to those process yardsticks. And you can also audit for customer satisfaction through surveys. So if you have financial metrics, and hopefully those metrics are not tied to reducing claim volume, make sure that you've got counterbalancing metrics, what I call a balanced scorecard of metrics with regard to customer service, customer satisfaction, and good faith claim practices uh, based upon certain process criteria, not outcomes. Number three, guard against creating a culture preoccupied with hitting the numbers, tempting adjusters to underpay legitimate claims. Number four, monitor and rationalize adjuster caseloads, keeping workloads realistic. Now, again, I don't have the answer. I don't think there is a magic bullet answer as to what is the ideal optimum caseload. There are a lot of different variables that go into it. But if adjusters are so overloaded that all they are doing is putting out fires and dog paddling to keep their head above water, that is a recipe for sloppy investigations, superficial coverage analyses, uh, peremptory denials of meritorious claims. Uh, make sure that staffing is adequate. Monitor caseloads and rationalize them and add staff if need be. Number five, weave regular good faith training into department and company culture. This is not a one-off project. This is not a flavor of the month initiative where you do it and check it off a list. This is a recurring practice. It's a recurring discipline. The good faith training process can be formal, it can be informal, but there should be some periodic training, periodic refresher for the claim staff with regard to the blocking and tackling fundamentals of investigation, evaluation, negotiation, and the relevant good faith or unfair claim practice regulations of the jurisdiction in which they are in. Number six, if you're going to use valuation software, if you're going to use AI, artificial intelligence, for claim evaluation, use it as a sounding board. Do not use it as a handcuff to substitute for adjuster discretion. Use it as a tool, use it as a rudder, use it as a weather vane, but allow adjusters to override those assessments generated by software or by algorithms or by AI if they have a cogent explanation. Number seven, keep supervisory spans of control reasonable. This is comparable to the advice on adjuster caseloads. If a supervisor is has 14 people reporting to him or her, it's not realistic 
that those people are going to receive an adequate amount of oversight, quality control, and supervision. And the challenges become even more acute with the trend and movement toward remote work of adjusters. Those pose unique challenges in terms of supervision. Again, I don't pretend to know and the, the scope of what is an ideal span of control for claim supervisors is beyond the scope of this particular podcast, but those need to be closely watched to make sure that the supervisors don't have more reports than they can handle reasonably. Number eight, do not hold contests or offer incentives for claim or coverage denials. Now this may seem like a no-brainer, Who would do that? But there have been companies that have done that, and I have served as an expert witness in situations where the culture is such that adjusters who deny coverage a lot are honored, are recognized, and rewarded. So make sure that you're not offering contests or incentives to deny claims. Number nine, post-mortem any bad faith claims for lessons learned and make appropriate operational changes in light of allegations. If you've never been tainted, if you've never been tagged with a bad faith claim, congratulations. But if a claim arises, and even if it's dismissed, and even if it's grounded, groundless, it's important to post-mortem, to have a case study, have an after-action review of what activities generated that institutional bad faith claim, and even if you win the case, to ask yourself, what is it that brought this situation about, and is there a way that we can restructure our management processes and systems in order to prevent a recurrence of it? Because even if you win an institutional bad faith claim, it can be extremely expensive in terms of the money to defend these cases and the time and the distraction to management time, and and management time is a scarce resource in any organization. Number 10, review human resource documents, claim manuals, corporate initiatives, and other documents for alignment with good faith claim practices. Purge any wording that could create misimpressions in jurors' minds regarding subordination of claim functions to financial and profit goals. I, I had a case one time where the plaintiff's bad faith expert dug out a podcast given by the CEO of an insurance company where he was talking about the payouts of his company versus other companies in this particular market sector. Somehow they turned that into an institutional bad faith claim. I don't think that the CEO said anything that was intemperate or inappropriate. Uh, And maybe upon reflection, he would have done the same thing. But uh, the point here is that plaintiffs will look at CEO communications. They will look at annual reports. They will look at corporate documents produced during discovery uh, to see if there's a preoccupation with reducing uh, claims expenses and how the company is going about doing that. So let let me wrap up here as we come in for landing to say that there's really no panacea 
to totally inoculate any insurance company from an institutional bad faith claim. These are often difficult to spot in advance. Hindsight is 2020, because they start as an individualized, one-off type of bad faith claim, and then they expand to a broader lens that indicts company practices and tries to sell a message to juries of profits over people and to get judges and juries to buy into that. So awareness of this problem, awareness of this risk, should motivate insurance companies and claims people to reassess management practices that can either foster or prevent adjuster missteps, which is the first step in planting the seeds that can grow like weeds into institutional bad faith claims. Look, insurance companies are in the business of managing risk. It's, it's, it's their core competency. It's what they're supposed to be good at. So for insurance companies, one of the largest risks to manage is the risk of bad faith claims. And the stakes are even higher in institutional bad faith claims. And carriers who neglect to design an intentional risk management program addressing the threat of institutional bad faith is the equivalent of the proverbial cobbler's kids who run around barefoot. So these tactics provide no panacea, no inoculation, but I believe that they can minimize the risk of lost frequency and severity due to institutional bad faith claims. Hey, if you like the content here, please subscribe to Claims Coach Podcast on iTunes and leave a review. For more information on Quinley Risk Associates and my menu of services, please visit me on the web at www.kevinquinley.com or connect with me through Twitter. It's at Claims Coach. That's one word, at Claims Coach. Or connect with me through LinkedIn. But thanks for listening. And be sure to check back for future podcasts and claims and risk management resources from Quinley Risk Associates.